Welcome to Spotlight on Pulmonary Fibrosis, a podcast provided by Böhringer Ingelheim. This podcast series aims to help people navigate their way through the complex pulmonary fibrosis journey. Leading doctors and patient organization representatives from across Europe share their insights on the topics of diagnosis, treatment, and management of pulmonary fibrosis. Welcome back to Spotlight on Pulmonary Fibrosis in Connective Tissue Disease. In part A of this episode, we talked about the early signs and diagnosis of scleroderma. In part B, the participants Michaela Linkova, a scleroderma patient and patient advocate, Dr. Pershina, an expert radiologist, and Dr. Tsiriak, an expert rheumatologist, will continue their discussion with emphasis on post-diagnosis follow-up and monitoring of scleroderma patients. Dr. Tsiriak, pulmonary manifestations can develop within underlying diseases such as scleroderma. So could you please explain to us why pulmonary fibrosis can be associated with scleroderma? If we bring together the most important elements of scleroderma, uh, one of them is the vascular problem, the narrowing of different arteries. The second point, this is a so-called systemic autoimmune disease. That means that we have immunological phenomena and some inflammation. And the third and most visible, really important part is fibrosis, which is something like tissue scarring. You see this in the skin, and a similar phenomenon appears in the lungs. So these are the two organs, skin and lungs, which are mainly affected by abnormal fibrosis, some kind of scarring. Right. And how do you then diagnose scleroderma with lung involvement in particular? For example, are there other specialists uh, who are involved in the diagnosis? You know, I am sometimes joking and uh, I am saying that regarding my scleroderma patients, I am doing basically nothing. I am just giving a lot of work to the other <laughs> specialists, including cardiology, pulmonology, radiology, gastroenterology, nephrology, and so on, so on. So it is always a mandatory teamwork. And which team is dealing with a particular patient depends on the risk assessment and on the already diagnosed organ involvement. So regarding the lungs, of course, we need the help of radiologists. They make the high-resolution computer tomography, and they are good experts and are giving us a detailed, very detailed opinion. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, we have to consult with pulmonologists, and if the patient needs some kind of continuous treatment, very often we are referring the patient to the so-called ILD team, interstitial lung disease team. This is usually led by pulmonologists, but radiologists and rheumatologists are also there. And we come together and discuss together what you have to do with the patient. So it is always a teamwork because it's very rare that a patient has only one organ involvement. Usually there are several involvements and you have to bring everything together. In a patient with interstitial lung involvement, the patient may have inflammation in the joint and it should be also treated. So you should bring these different manifestations together. And it is always a teamwork. 
What happens to the body when a patient develops pulmonary fibrosis associated with scleroderma? And what are those early signs and symptoms of lung involvement there? It's more or less the same. So if a decreased physical capacity, breathlessness, fatigue are the signs of the already established intertissal lung involvement. The problem is with scleroderma that heart involvement can cause very similar symptoms, basically identical symptoms. And in the heart, the left ventricle, which is pumping the blood to our body, can be sick. And the right ventricle, which is pumping the blood to the lungs, and the pulmonary arteries can be also sick. So whenever you have the signs of breathlessness, decreased physical capacity, then you have to defined by investigations which part of the body is sick. The final opinion can be interstitial lung disease, can be left ventricular heart disease, can be so-called pulmonary arterial hypertension, where the arteries going to the lung are narrowed. And these three background causes should be differently treated. So you need an expert center and the expert center should tell the patients which part is sick and how to deal with that. And of course, the teamwork will continue. Sometimes we work closely with cardiologists, sometimes with pulmonologists, sometimes with both of them. Right. And radiologists you mentioned there as well. And we do have our expert radiologist with us today, Dr. Pershina. Thank you for joining us today. Michaela, you have some questions for Dr. Pershina. Yeah, thank you. As we heard, the pulmonary fibrosis is complex disease that can be difficult to diagnose. And uh, many different physicians are involved in the diagnostic process. Dr. Pejina, could you please tell us maybe more about your role as a radiologist in the diagnosis of pulmonary fibrosis? Yes. So, as we discussed, all the patients with scleroderma and suspicion of pulmonary involvement should undergo chest CT. And the main role of radiologists, first of all, is to control proper data collection using correct scanner protocol, high-resolution reconstruction protocol, because it's very, very important to detect very gentle changes in lung parenchyma. Then, to diagnose different interstitial lung disease patterns in connective tissue disease and in scleroderma, and uh, exclude complications such as infection or other conditions. And finally, to reveal signs of pulmonary fibrosis and especially important, its progression that could significantly influence treatment and uh, patient for prognosis. And what type of different radiological examinations are needed? What are you looking for as a radiologist? To be honest, the only methods uh, we can use for all interstitial lung disease and connective tissue disease is high-resolution CT. Unfortunately, chest X-ray doesn't have enough resolution to identify mild to moderate interstitial changes. 
The CT scans analysis radiologists look for specific signs of uh, interstitial lung disease, such ground glass opacities, particular abnormalities, consolidation, and in some cases, specific signs of fibrosis, such as honeycombing or traction bronchiectasis. Also, the distribution of these changes in lung fields is very important in making the right diagnosis. Would there be any difficulties to accurately diagnose lung fibrosis in patients with scleroderma? The main difficulties are overlapping symptoms between fibrosis and another processes and conditions such as organization pneumonia or inflammation. In some cases, it could be quite difficult. And if we decided that it's fibrosis and we make the wrong diagnosis, it could influence on the patient treatment and prognosis assessment. To be correct, we should find the additional radiologist sign and serial scan to get the right diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Is there anything special the patient should know before these procedures, how they should prepare for such examinations? No, it's quite simple, non-invasive procedure that takes up to 5-10 minutes and actually we don't need special preparation. The patient just need to follow the instruction during the scanning, like breathe in and breathe out, and that's all. Some of the patients are afraid of radiation exposure. However, it's not so high, and it's about 5 millisieverts, and I repeat that we don't need to Uh, repeat the CT uh, very often. Generally, in our remote order team, we recommend to do, in stable clinical situation, we recommend to do uh, CT checkup every two years or one year if we have some specific sign of progressive phenotype. Thank you. And maybe could you explain why many different physicians are involved in a diagnostic procedure of pulmonary fibrosis? Diagnosis of interstitial lung disease and connective tissue disease and especially pulmonary fibrosis in it is the result of co-working between radiologists and uh, specialists in pulmonary and rheumatologists, as Dr. Tirek already said. Nowadays, we have some specific therapy that can affect pulmonary fibrosis, and we have to be sure altogether that there is evidence of fibrosis to prescribe them. It's very important to combine data from CT and pulmonary function tests. Michaela, we've heard a lot there about all these different doctors and specialists that have to work together to come up with their diagnosis and also all these tests. Could you tell us maybe a little about your personal journey from when you experienced those first symptoms to the moment when you received your diagnosis and what specialists you met and what maybe you wish you had known at that stage that would have made it easier for you to understand? I hope uh, my story won't be so long, but I try to summarize. As I mentioned at the beginning, I ignore my symptoms. I didn't think that it's something serious. I just saw I'm overworked. Uh, but in August 2014, I felt very swollen hands, pain and discoloration of my fingers, which I didn't know it's rhinoid because I didn't know it. I thought it was from my spine because I work long hours sitting in front of computer. Also, I was playing actively beach volleyball, so I saw something happen in my spine. So I got some infusions on the emergency room and it helped for a while. 
but it uh, returned very quickly. So I arranged a private physiotherapist, but nothing improved. Finally, I visited general practitioners, and she sent me for a few examinations, like carpal tunnel examination, the vascular examination, and everything was fine. So I was sent to rheumatology, and uh, unfortunately, my symptoms were getting worse very quickly. As I later on find out, I was diagnosed with diffuse scleroderma. I had a problem with movement, walking, extreme pain in the joints, tendons, and of course, as I mentioned, extreme fatigue. And I was lucky that uh, this rheumatologist knows systemic scleroderma, and very soon she sent me to specialized facility with suspected systemic scleroderma. So it's really important to find the right specialist then for somebody who can recognize these as symptoms of specific scleroderma. How old were you then? I was 37 years. Finding the diagnosis took about five months, right? which is not too bad compared to other patients. Sure. But what do you wish that you had known back then that you know now that might have helped you? I think first I would wish that I will pay more attention to my body because, you know, a long time I ignore it. Another thing is if I know this illness, because, you know, even I studied secondary medical school, I never heard about systemic scleroderma, which is a shame because then I could see the first sign and I could somehow be alarmed that I should visit the specialist for such a disease. Right. Dr. Tsiriak, many patients interpret their respiratory symptoms as unrelated, for instance, to their scleroderma diagnosis and are often more worried about other scleroderma-related symptoms that they're experiencing. What would be your advice to scleroderma patients who notice respiratory symptoms? It's a very good question because if we are talking about the everyday quality of life of the patient... The most important problem is renos phenomenon. The other problem is the gastrointestinal symptoms, bloating, diarrhea, and so on. And the third one is the joint pain and decrease the joint motility. So these are the everyday problems of the patient. And my major problem is that I have to detect the very early signs of heart, lung, kidney, Involvements, mm-hmm. and I have to treat it as early as possible. And in the very early phase of the disease, the patient will not have lung-related symptoms, for example. So the overall approach is that if we start to follow up a patient with systemic sclerosis, we have to assess all the important items, and we should know whether the patient has interstitial lung disease, has cardiac involvement, or has kidney involvement. So we have a baseline opinion, and we have to discuss that with the patient. Then, during the next follow-ups, the first question always is the physical ability of the patient. If the patient has a decreased physical ability, it can be caused either lung or heart involvements. And the other point, of course, the breathlessness. If the patient recognizes a new symptom or a patient has a decreased physical capacity, the patient should go back to the center and the center should make the appropriate investigations to clarify whether this is an interstitial lung disease-related symptom, left 
ventricular heart disease-related symptom or pulmonary arterial hypertension. And then, if we have the diagnosis, we have to discuss with the patient and we have to start the therapy. So mm -hmm. the regular checkup and follow-up, really important. And if you pose a general question, if the patient noticing respiratory symptoms, the patient should go back to the center, should ask for the consultation, and the center will give an early consultation date. Let's say the patients don't have any respiratory symptoms. Does that mean that there is no lung involvement? I think that uh, the early phases of the lung involvement, the patient is symptomless. So this is the reason why we need to make spirometry, HRCT test, and also we are regularly making the so-called six-minute walk test. The patient is walking for six minutes, and it helps to diagnose the early cases. Early cases, symptomless. So it is not like idiopathic lung fibrosis, where usually the patient when first attends the doctor already has relatively severe symptoms. The patient may have symptoms, but the majority of the patient does not have lung-related symptoms at the beginning. And our role is to recognize and to prevent the progression of the disease, to avoid the symptoms later on. We have several possibilities regarding the therapy nowadays, so it makes sense to uh, to clarify the situation as early as possible. Sure, so regular monitoring would be the take-home message? Absolutely mandatory. And the patient should know about that because not all the doctors are aware of that. The scleroderma is not a very well-known disease. So my overall suggestion is that the patient either should visit a centre or at least should occasionally appear in a center for advising. If the center is far away, this is the second option. Michaela, as a patient, you have another question for Dr. Tsiriak? I have a question to both doctors, to Dr. Pajina and Dr. Tsiriak. Maybe what recommendation would you have to physicians regarding how to communicate and diagnosis of scleroderma to patients and also to their families? What do you think is important to communicate at the time of diagnosis? May I start first? Of course, what we have to communicate with the patient is the current problems and symptoms, which we have diagnosed. And the second is the risk assessment. So we have to discuss with the patient and preferably also with the patient's family members what should be relatively carefully checked up because there is a chance to develop a particular organ involvement. So I think that it helps to the patient and also to the doctors if this first discussion is appropriate and detailed. And it is mandatory to do that. Right. Dr. Pershina, I have a question for you. So what would you say are the most common barriers that stand in the way of a timely diagnosis of scleroderma with lung involvement? For example, what are some of the typical challenges that patients encounter on their journey towards getting that diagnosis in a timely matter? Yeah, from my point of view and examples of daily practice, one of the main problems is lack of screening CT in scleroderma patients. We know that CT features occurs earlier than functional impairment and clinical signs of lung involvement. And we definitely need some initial point to assess the dynamics of changes. 
And there are several another barriers, namely still lack of equipment. I mean, CT scanners in some regions of Russia and in other countries. And the most important, the gap of knowledge uh, in both rheumatologists and radiologists. It can be and should be improved, definitely. Patient organizations also help patients and their families to navigate through the journey and the different stages of the disease. Michaela, could you perhaps give us some examples of how patient organizations can support suspected and diagnosed scleroderma patients and indeed their families as well? Patients' organizations play a big role from my point of view. They provide patients and their families with verified information educate the patient and at the same time advise them which specialized workplaces are suitable for diagnosis and treatment of systemic scleroderma. Also, they help patients with support or how to accept the illness, how to live with such an illness. Our patient group, for example, provides also psychological assistance for newly diagnosed patients, which is, I think, very important part. And it's not often provided by the rheumatologists or by the other doctors. We also organize uh, the online educational webinars with specialists, as well as workshops with psychologists and coach, try to help the patients make sure that they get uh, the right treatment and uh, they are not suffering too much. Right. And Dr. Pershina and Dr. Tsiryak, is there anything that you would like to say just to sort of finish this up now to patients who are listening? Any sort of advice that you would like to leave them with? Let me start with you, Dr. Pershina. Probably not to patient, but to my colleagues, because assessment of the condition of the patients, it's, of course, a result of co-working or specialist and uh, from my point of view, taking care of patients with uh, such disease as scleroderma requires good networking between pulmonologists, rheumatologists, and radiologists. And it's really important for the patient and his family that all caregivers have similar position in condition assessment and similar vocabulary to improve compliance and give support fighting the disease. Dr. Tsiriak, what would you like to say as your final words? Yes, just one more point. Yes. That, uh, I'd like to emphasize that uh, what Michaela was saying is absolutely important. Patients' organizations are really important because only the patients' organizations are able to provide relevant and reliable information. So whenever I first met a patient and diagnosed scleroderma, I'm always suggesting to the patient and the patient family to enter to the patient's organization and to have a look at the suggestions because if you consult the internet, you will get 100,000 hits. It is impossible to clarify the situation. So my most important point is that relevant information is necessary and the truth is really important for the patients. Both the doctors and the centers can provide relevant information, but on the other hand, the patients' organizations are also crucial and we are closely working together. 
it was extremely interesting talking to you. We're going to leave it there. And thank you so much to Michaela Linkova, Dr. Pershina and Dr. Tsiryak for joining us today and for uh, spending time with us uh, talking about Spotlight on Pulmonary Fibrosis in Connective Tissue Disease and Scleroderma. Thank you. Thank you. I thank you for the invitation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Spotlight on Pulmonary Fibrosis podcast. For more podcasts in this series, you can subscribe for free on whatever platform you use. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment.